Happy Valentine's Day. How many of you, let me take a poll, I'm the first person to wish you Happy Valentine's Day. Raise your hand. Okay, quite a few. How many of you really love Valentine's Day? Hands, come on, participate. We're going to have responses. How many of you do not like Valentine's Day? Okay, we got, we got quite a combination there. Um, you know, for some people, Valentine's Day is over-commercialized. For many of you, it's, it's a day that reminds you how alone you are. You know, answer this question. Who has a Valentine date every year? The calendar. <laughs> Thank you for laughing, laughing about that, okay? Pretty weak. But guys, today, here's what I know. If no one has told you they love you today, this whole message is going to be about God's love for you. And at the end of this message, uh, we're starting back for responses this Sunday. You can see it in, in the pew in front of you. And we're going to give an opportunity to do it for many of us is the favorite part of being a part of Landmark is being able to be honest and open and vulnerable with people who love us. So I think this is a message that will convict us all in a very good way. Because today we look at a, a section of scripture that mentions the word love 28 times. And there's this pearl right in the middle of it. Perfect love cast out fear. Well, I love that verse. Because it tells us we can have what all of us want, which is love. And we can not have what all of us despise, which is fear. You see, here's the good news. God wants both of these for you. He wants you to live in love, and He doesn't want you to live in fear. And yet there are way too many of us who are Christians, who live in self-doubt, and anguish, and anxiety, and fear, even a fear of God coming back. And John wants to deal with that today. So let's dive right in the passage. 1 John chapter 4, middle verse 16, back to where Stephen was with this. God is love. It all starts there with that truth. God is love. And then he challenges. Whoever lives in love lives in God, in God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now, I'm so glad God led me to study this because I don't think I've ever really understood these verses before. I, I think I've loved that sentence, perfect love casts out fear, but I've never really looked at the context. Most familiar verses are the ones we misinterpret the most, okay? So here's my question for today. What is John really trying to say? And I'm going to give you four points. They're going to build on each other. Uh, stay with me the whole time. Some of it may be offensive to you, but I want you to hear what John is really trying to say. Number one, specifically, Christians should not live in fear of the judgment. That's the context. I never caught that before. The word judgment, the judgment day, is simply a day of separation when people will either be with God or not be with God for eternity. 
And the problem that John is trying to address is those of us who are Christian who don't look forward to that day. We are fearful of the day of judgment. Now, you need to understand this. God is a judging God. Many of us, like Stephen said earlier, would like to define love in such a way that judgment could not be a part of it. But that is part of God's character. He's a judging God. You see, we would rather look at him as Santa Claus. He's soft and bright, giving out gifts left and right. We hear he's checking a list. He's taking a list and checking it twice, but we know he really isn't. My friends, God is a judging God. You say, I don't really like that. My friends, how would you like to follow a God who was not judging who didn't care the difference between good and evil, right or wrong, who looked at the average person just like he looked at Hitler. We wouldn't want that kind of God. We want a God who really does care about what's right and wrong. And my friends, you also need to understand this. There is a judgment day coming. Despite the fact we don't preach about that very often, there is a judgment day coming when people will be separated. It's real. Jesus talked about it often. In fact, in the New Testament, the word hell is used 12 times. Guess what? 11 of those are off the lips of Jesus. So there is a day coming. And John doesn't want you to fear it. That's his point. Now, in religion, we've sort of dealt with this issue in two different ways. Uh, On one side, we have um, talked about eternal security. Commonly called, once saved, always saved. Once you're saved, you could never lose it. On the other side, many have grown up with what I call the opposite end, eternal insecurity. You're once saved and you're never, ever sure, okay? Now, what I would say to you is John does not buy into either one of those. You know, when it comes to insecurity, John says in chapter 5, I am writing these things that you may know that you are saved. The very section we are studying today is a test to see whether you're in right relationship with God. On the other hand, though it would be a, a nice doctrine to embrace, he doesn't embrace eternal security. In chapter 1 he says, if you walk in the light, as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us from all our sins. We love that. I call it the windshield wiper verse. God's love is just continually cleansing our sins. But there's a word at the beginning. It's a two-letter word. If you walk in the light. And what you'll find out in context of 1 John is that walking in the light is walking in love. Also, by the time you get to John chapter 5, he says... It's possible to sin a sin that would lead you to spiritual death. So that's not the way he's going to deal with it. How will he deal with it? Go to point number two. Let's back up just a moment. Biblically, fear has its place and is the beginning of knowledge. Some people should be fearful. If you're living outside of God's grace, if you're living in rebellion toward God, there is reason to fear. I, I love the story. It's a sad story when, when Paul preaches to King Agrippa, King Felix, Felix, excuse me. And we look in Acts chapter 24, verse 25. 
He says, Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, then the judgment to come. Paul didn't mind preaching on judgment. Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. Now listen to me, folks. Felix refused to surrender his life to Jesus, at least at this point. He should have been afraid, okay? I mean, fear is a good thing in the sense that it's the beginning, as the wise man would say, of knowledge. It's when you really start understanding life, when you understand where God belongs. If you leave God off his throne as the judge, you'll never understand this life. No, we understand this when it comes to our children. You know, your your kid's one year old and they keep taking their plate and throwing it off their high chair and messing up, you know. You can't say, oh, Lindsay, let's just talk about that for a minute. Let me reason with you about this. Uh, Let me just tell you, I really, really, really love you, so don't throw your plate off. No, you are going to pop that hand, right? Because you know that's the only way you're going to teach a one-year-old. They've got to start with a healthy respect for who you are and the role they play in your life. And if you're not doing that as a parent, you're not doing a good job. You must be able to do that. Now, you don't want it to stay that way, you know. You want it to grow. And finally, it will grow to a point where, you know what? You, you, you don't have to discipline that way. And by the time your kids are my kids' age, I can't spank them. I can't put them in timeout. I can't slap them on the wrist, even though sometimes I want to. But by this point, if we're going to have a good relationship, and I'm going to be happiest because they love me and they want to please me. And that's our relationship with God. Fear is not a good ending place, but it is a good beginning place. And so, it's evident in the book of Romans. The book of Romans is the greatest book on grace in the Bible. And yet, the first three chapters are about bad news. It's about how lost and screwed up we are. And not until he gets to the end of chapter 3 is he able to give us the good news. And here's what I want you to understand. I think this, this trips some of us up. You will never appreciate the good news until you have understood the bad news. See, why some of us aren't jumping up and down for joy and praising God with all of our heart this morning is because we've never really thought we were lost. If you've never really felt your lostness, you will never really understand the love of God. So that's the role that fear can play. Now mark this down. Healthy fear draws us to God. Unhealthy fear draws us from God. A healthy fear says, my goodness, God, I recognize who you are. I recognize your power. I recognize you are over my life. You know, I do want to please you. Unhealthy fear says, oh, my goodness, I'm so scared of you. I've got to stay as far from you because I don't want to think about any of this stuff. No, that, that's unhealthy. That brings us to point number three, which is so important. God's perfect love casts out fear. It drives it out. It's just like with our children. It's sort of the same phases. When you were first lost, many of us came to Christ because we were afraid of the judgment. We didn't want to go to hell. Not the highest motive, but a motive. And so we came to Christ. And then as we came to Christ, there began to be this interesting mix of fearing God and loving God. But the more you encountered God, the more you stayed in his word, the more you read about Jesus, it finally came to a point where it was just love. And you're not obeying God now because you're afraid you'll go to hell. or You're obeying God because you just love him and you don't want to disappoint him. 
And that's what John is trying to say. He's not trying to say, your love is perfect, God's love is perfect. He's just saying it completes itself in you. Why? Because the more you know God, the more you understand that God is love. And the closer you grow to God, you understand he's not against you. That's the unhealthy fear. He is absolutely for you. In fact, you might run into this verse in the next part of Romans. Romans chapter 8, in verse um, 35, Who shall, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger? No. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, neither anything else, in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the more you understand that, that God is never going to stop loving you, no matter what you do. That if you don't feel close to God, it's not because He moved, it's because you moved. So when God's love is completed in us, fear is less and less a part of our life. You see, fear is the emotion of being afraid of punishment. When you're walking in the light, in the love of God, you're not afraid. You're excited about the judgment day. You see this in one of the great Bible stories, the story of the prodigal son. Remember, remember that guy, he um, rebelled against his father, took his inheritance, ran away to a far land, spent all his money on parties and women. Before long, he's out of money, he's out of friends. He's in a pigsty. And he didn't know what to do, but he said, you know what? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my father. But he doesn't really quite grasp his father yet. He says, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to ask him if I could just be a slave. I know there ain't no way he could forgive me for what. No way he should still love me. But at least I could go there and work and make a little bit of money and support myself. So he repeats the story over and over. He finally gets close to the house. The father runs to him. The father throws his robe around him. He puts the ring on him, symbolic of his sonship. He throws a party. He says, my son who is lost is saved. Because that's the way we walk. We screw up really bad. We don't know God good enough to know he really will forgive. Maybe he'll barely take us in. That's not God. And the more you have that picture of God, you see, the prodigal son's problem was he didn't really know his daddy well enough. And the reason many of us live in fear is we don't know our heavenly daddy well enough to cast out the fear. I love this meme about religion and sonship. Look at this with me just for a second. Religion says, I messed up. My daddy's going to kill me. Sonship says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. God wants you to call him. He wants you to come home. So that brings us to point number four. Really important. Practically, our growing love of each other confirms our salvation. Now, just, just go back with me if you have your Bible. Look at, look at a couple of verses with me. Verse 17, John chapter, um, 1 John chapter 4. He says, um, this is how love is made complete among us so that we'll have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. When we become more like Jesus, we know he's really working in us. Look at verses 19 to 21. 
We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must, M-U-S-T, love their brother and sister. So, our love for each other is a confirmation, a sign that we're in fellowship with Christ. Now, please understand this. Our love for each other is not as important as our love for God. Doesn't even compare. It's just like when James says, faith without works is dead. He's not saying that faith and works are equal. Not at all. What he's saying is, if you really, really, really have faith, it's going to show up in your actions. And what John is saying, if you really, really, really are experiencing the love of God, it's going to show up in the way that you treat people. John would say you can't divorce those two things. Oh, loving God is the most important because it's the initiator. It's the changer. It's the motor. It's what transforms us. But it will show up in the way we treat people. So we experience the love of God, and then we express it. John would say in another part, God lavishes his love on us, and it overflows out of us. That's why Jesus was so upset about the guy in the parable who owed a million dollars and was forgiven. Got out of jail. He went out and found someone who owed him $15, and he throttled him with his neck. And God says, that man is not mine. Why? Because he didn't get what God has done for him and it didn't show up in his life and that is John's challenge to us is that we are deep enough and complete enough in God's love not perfect but please understand this sermon today he is not talking about perfection in fact in chapter one he says if anyone is without sin he's a liar the truth's not in him he's just simply saying if you are getting the love of God it's going to show up in how you treat people guys if ever we needed to hear this message is today we are in such a divided culture and don't fool yourself to think it's all out there it's seeping into the church and we are divided over politics probably divided over what happened yesterday we're divided over race my goodness, we're divided over mask, and I could go on and on. I will tell you in my ministry, I've never had as many tense conversations in 20 years as I've had in the last month, because we are uptight, and we are actually having a hard time loving each other over some of these things. Let me tell you this. I'll tell you what I miss. I miss when I used to get in trouble with you guys if I talked about Alabama football too much. <laughs> Those were great days. I, I miss when I got in trouble by talking about clapping in church or musical instruments. Those were wonderful days. <laughs> but let me tell you what I really believe. I think what John is saying very, very, very plainly, this is a test to see if we are really different. And let me just put it boldly, because this is the way John put it. I don't really like it. This is the way he put it. This is a test to see if we are really saved. That's a pretty big test. And, and John's not wanting you to leave here beaten up today. He's wanting you to leave here knowing how much God loves you, 
that love starting to ooze out of you and pour out of you. But understand this. It's not self-generated. It starts with God's love for you. Your problem in your life, my problem, is not that I have a hard time loving people who disagree. That's not the real problem. It's a problem. The real problem is I'm not letting God's love get deep enough in my heart. And so what John wants us to do is he wants us to lean in to the love of God. You just can't walk out of here and go, I'm going to go make myself love that. No, no, no. What you need to do is go spend time with God. Go spend time with Jesus. Let his love get so deep in you, so prevailing in you, that you love people the way he did. That's the answer. You see, John, here's what he wants. He doesn't want you to think about the judgment day with your fingers crossed. He wants you to know. So, let's take John's test for a moment. Are you growing and accepting God's love for you? And is it evident in your love for others? That's the way we check this thing out. That's the test. Doesn't that make sense? These are the two greatest commandments. Are you growing in those? Now understand this with me today. All of history is moving toward a day of judgment. When God will separate, when everything wrong will be made right, but we will know the love of God in its fullness and we will become just like him. The question this morning is, are you ready? The answer is, take John's test. Now, if you're here, you've got some response cards in front of you. We're going to do what we have always done as a church, and we're going to give you a chance to be prayed for before you leave. There's going to be a basket down here. We'll maintain social distancing. You just fill this card out, and you bring it down here to this basket, and I'll pray for you before you get out of here. Maybe you're struggling in loving some people. Maybe you've grown distant from God, and you know He loves you, but you've, you've pulled back. I don't know what your prayer concern might be spiritually today, but I would invite you to write it down, and we're going to sing in just a moment, and you just bring it and put it in this basket. If you're our guest today, we've not been able to do this like we used to, not quite back today, but if I could tell you what we love about Landmark more than anything is it's a church without pretense. It's a church with honesty. It's a church where you could say anything you want to say, and you will be loved, and you'll be helped. So we're going to do that. If, if you're watching online, and thank you so much for the great online viewership we have, there's a number on your screen right there. You text your prayer request to us, and the leadership of this church will pray for you this week. So here's what we're going to do. Online, you can join us here in person. We're going to sing one of our favorite songs the greatest commands. And as we sing that song, use this time to do what John's calling us to do. Just reflect on where you are with God and where you are with people. You see, what I love about this is that it's the Apostle John who wrote this. He's had quite an evolution. If you read about John in the Gospels, man, he's hellfire and brimstone calling down fire from heaven. He's arrogant, thinks him and his brothers should be on top and nobody else. I mean, John's sort of a jerk in the Gospels. But you keep reading the story. 
And by the time we read his epistles, nobody talks about love more than John. And by the time we get to his deathbed and the church surrounds him and says, John, please give us something to go on. What is the last thing you would want us to know? All he can say is, little children love one another. So the God that wrote this to us, who gave us the test, actually has experienced this. And I don't know where you are on the spectrum. That's not the issue. The thing is, are you walking in the light of God's love until you're slowly but surely becoming like Him? If you're not, then please bring us this card and we'll pray about it before we leave. Let's stand and celebrate the love of God.